Hello, welcome to the Richard Herring podcast feed powered by ACAST Plus. Thanks so much for listening to these. Do tell your friends if you enjoy them. The Can I Have My Ball Back Tour is back on the road this week. We're in London on the 7th in the Bloomsbury Theatre and Leicester Square Theatre on the 9th. I've got quite a lot of tickets to sell for both of those, so if you're in London, please come along. Then the 13th in Cambridge, few tickets left for that one. Uh, Leicester on the 14th, Leeds on the 15th. Uh, Salford on the 16th, Newcastle on the 17th, which is sold out on the website, but I think there might be a few more tickets to release. Uh, So do come along if you want to see me talk about my balls and one of them not being here anymore. It's a very funny show. Four star reviews in the Telegraph and the Standard. Um, Anyway, look, let's sit back, relax and enjoy another fantastic podcast from Richard Herring, the genius podcaster. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. Please welcome a man who, even though he's played for time, has nothing to say. <laughs> it's Richard Eric. Thank you very much. Hello, London. Oh, no, I'm still drunk from last week. It's Richard Herring here. I'm doing my podcast, which changed Leicester Square Theatre Podcast. I was talking to Bo Brummel the other day, the dandy... The dandy guy was very cool back in the old in the day or whatever. Meant to research him on Wikipedia, find out when he was from. He calls it Relispa, so that's uh, that's that's going to be fun. We're going to talk to the audience. Nothing's happened to me since the last podcast. Really, hardly anything at all, uh, and in the last week. Uh, so I'll talk to the hello there, young lady. Hello. I'm not talking to you. There was a clue in the young. Uh, so. Uh, <laughs> And another clue in the lady. Uh, so, what's your name? Rosie. Rosie. Hello, Rosie. How are you doing? Did you come to see Rick Edwards last week? Is that why you're here? Yeah, thanks. Uh, so, that's all I want to know. What do you do for a living, Rosie? You're a civil servant. How's that going for you with Brexit and everything going on? Pretty badly, right? You're not allowed to say. People won't know who you are. Just, no one can see you from just Rosie. We'll call you something else. What department of civil service do you work in? Housing. Ah, oh, that's all right. That's probably going to be... Oh, people will probably, probably still be some houses afterwards. They're going to be a lot cheaper, aren't they? It's going to be good. Ah, uh, so... As long as you don't own one at the moment. So, uh, nice to see you. So, you know, it's unusual to have... Uh, I mean, that's... This man is... That's the used, what people usually look like in the front row. That's just why I wanted to say hello, because, you know... No offence, mate, but... Comparatively... 
you have a science degree? That, that's good. <laughs> it's good that they, you, you could nearly worked in IT. Do you, do you work in IT, mate? No, don't say no like you're above being in IT, mate. What do you work in? What's your name, sorry? Peter, I was going to say you were hideously ugly just before, but I didn't get to that bit. Um, you're not, Peter. You're very good looking in your own way. Do you remember when you, remember when you had some of this, Peter? Hey, do you remember? Hey, do you remember that? Look at that. I'm not, there's nothing. What, what, what do you do, Peter? I work in a bank. You work in a bank. Oh, it's his fault that everything's going wrong in the theatre and he's sitting next to you. Which bank? Is it a good bank? Oh, I wouldn't say that. You're not. Coots, isn't it? It's Coots. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, I thought so. Do you work in a bank? No. What's your name? Matt. Matt? Uh, <laughs> oh God, I'm so drunk that I just nearly did a joke about you was lying in front of a door uh, it's okay I didn't do it so it's okay what do you do Matt you're a lawyer fucking hell it's high powered isn't it it's, it's, it's uh, banks civil servants where are my IT guys there you are how are you doing IT IT there he is the Dodgers Dodgers shirt what, what, how's the IT going yeah, good. That's one. What's the best uh, law, in your opinion? <laughs> Which one do you like um, prosecuting people for or defending them for most? There's so many to choose. There are. <laughs> that's it's a difficult question, you know. I ask the tough questions in this podcast, and I don't make it easy. But, you know, if, you, if, if this is an example of your lawyering, mate, you, you should work in IT. <laughs> Because it's no good. What's your best law? It's so difficult. Oh, this man's up for murder. It looks like he's done it. It's really difficult to get him off. I hope someone will come in with some evidence that proves he didn't do it. Is that what you do? No. No. Would you do that sort of stuff as a lawyer? No, it's a barrister. (sighs) Right. Well, it's lovely to talk to the audience (laughs) in a slightly aggressive phone. How are you, madam? I'm sorry I was a little rude earlier. I hope you didn't. I I was only joking. I'm sorry. Uh, that's, yeah, I'm doing, you don't have to apologise to me if I was rude to you. I've been coming to see you for years. Have you? Years, yeah. 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 And just thought tonight I'll get really drunk and shout out. <laughs> and, and I've just got over cancer. Oh, you just got over cancer? Well, that's good news. Yeah. I mean, you know, for you, for me, it means you're going to be coming in <laughs> and heckling. Yeah. <laughs> I'm delighted, I'm delighted. Congrats. Give this lady a round of applause. That's amazing. At last, some good news. Some good news. And as a comedian, it's a difficult one to deal with, isn't it? I've just got over cancer. Deal with that, you fucker. All right, I'm coming back at you. You're a lovely audience. Thank you very much. And please carry on being a lovely audience. Our guest tonight, this week... There was a lady like you in last week's audience. It was weird. So it's... um... <laughs> Hello. Yeah, good. I don't, can't. If I don't understand it, I don't have to respond. That's uh, that's that's my rule. My guest this week is uh, you. I know why you're here. He's best known as Roger Splodger, isn't he? In Grandpa, has I as if I need to tell you in Grandpa in my pocket. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that for one hour. Will you please welcome the amazing Sanjeev Pascal, ladies and gentlemen? <laughs> So wonderful to have you, Sanjeev. Thank you very much. Here he is. Oh, my God. He's such a busy man. I've been trying to get him on this podcast for many years, and here he is. It's very exciting to have you. Thank you very much. It's, it's, it is, do you know, I was saying this to you before, but I'll, I, I'll say it again. 
Uh, not to you. I'll say it to you, because you've already heard it. But, um, it's, it's really strange to be on a podcast that you listen to, because otherwise, you know, he's a disembodied voice most of the time, and now he's embodied, and that's just a bit strange. And but... what a body it is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've chosen to inhabit. Um, grandpa in my pocket, do you remember much about work? James Bolam, of course. James Bolam, yeah, he I mean, was the grandpa. How did they shrink him down for that? How do they make him so small? Uh, or do they make you really big? No, 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 they made him small. Okay. Um, uh, w- by rewashing him. Okay. <laughs> uh, because it, there's a label stuck to James Bolam's neck, yeah. which says, do not tumble dry. <laughs> so they tumble dried him. Okay. Yeah, that's good. That learned him. It's a, good, it's a fun show. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, it was fun yeah. for the kids and stuff. And uh, what, what, what did Roger Splodger do? I don't re- Just remind people who don't watch it. <laughs> Every everybody, <laughs> tell everybody what he did. Uh, Roger Splodger uh, was because it's a kids show. Yes. Yeah, it was a kids show. Well, you know, adults are allowed to watch. Yeah, it, of course they. Do. Yeah, no, absolutely right. So he was a pervert uh, that had escaped <laughs> from. Oh, I sorry, sorry. The the text rather than the subject. Um, he was, uh, as the name suggests, he was a painter. Okay. And he wasn't a very good painter, but he thought he was brilliant. Yeah. And uh, so he just kind of like you know did. So, you know, paint things that kids really love, like <laughs> stepping in it and dropping it on his head and stuff like that. <laughs> okay. And uh, did, you, did you get to meet James Bolan? Were you working alongside him, or was he just in a different studio? Being I, I wasn't. No, he, was, <laughs> he had his tiny trailer uh, that he was in. Um, no, I didn't, well, I didn't do any scenes with him, actually, yeah. but I did with, I think it was his missus okay. who was in it. And so I did scenes with her, who was okay. lovely. He's great, James Bolam. I tried to get him in uh, in my play, uh, I Killed Rasputin, but he, was, he didn't want to do it. He, he preferred to be a small granddad in a pocket. That's, that's fine. That is his choice. Was that it a tiny his... Rasputin? It wasn't. He, was... he was only doing tiny parts <laughs> no, at that point. It was a full-sized uh, uh, Felix Yusupov who was going to play, but yes, mm. he didn't. Uh, would you fancy a uh, craft beer of some kind? These are you, from what beer have you got here? Right? Kind of like... I've got a whole new batch this week. Oh, I've right. got Freak Scene, but they put the E in Freak back to front. That is how... Ooh, oh, that's, that's what's... weirding me out. Is that two? I'm going to have that one, because I'm a bit of a freak. There's what? Mrs. McCluskey. Well, now, what is that? Is that Caviche? Caviche? Whatever you want. Day... It's dry hopped wit beer with oh. lime and coriander. All Come right. on, that's for you. Yeah, that's for, uh, uh, I'm not, uh, <laughs> Come on. Thank you, you racist bastard. <laughs> <bastards. laughs> uh, you like it though, don't you? You like it. Damn you, Herring. <laughs> Damn you. If I, if I have a second beer, I might uh, be drunk enough to try and roll out my attempt to do an Indian accent there. So, uh, Drink up, it, Richard. Why, Drink up. Why is it okay to do a Welsh one and a Scottish one? And not, well, you can do a Welsh one, right? Uh, I can, and that is basically... You can do an Indian is, one. <laughs> my Welsh one is very, very, very Indian. Go on, uh, go on. Okay, go on. I'll, do, I'll do Welsh. Oh, hello. <laughs> I, am, I am from Wales. Or Punjab, <laughs> depending on the part. I filmed, I, I filmed in Wales, and there were times where, and I had to do an accent for that. It was a, it was a character who just arrived from India, and there were times when I wasn't sure what, whether I was doing a Welsh accent or not. And then the Welsh actors who were there, I wasn't sure whether they were doing an Indian accent. It's absolutely true. There was a, so the, the series I did was set in the sixties. It was a, a daytime drama thing called The Indian Doctor. And I was in the kind of three-piece suit and stuff, and I went to a co-op that was around the corner. And um, there was a lady behind me in the queue. 
And uh, she said, uh, she said, hello, Dr. Khan, is it? And I said, I turned around and I said, hello. Uh, well, no, no, it isn't. I'm playing a doctor. She said, I'm sorry. She said, you looked exactly like him. And I said, that's amazing. I said, is he your doctor? She said, well, he wasn't until he died 20 years ago. <laughs> that was real. That happened. You know, it could be a, you could have been the ghost of Dr. Khan. Or maybe you are. We don't In know. the co-op. Yeah. <laughs> They've still got a ghost still has to eat. <laughs> So, uh, what I didn't know about you and what's so that you only really started uh, in entertainment and comedy in when I mean, you're about 34, is that right? Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. you worked in marketing for 10 years or so? Yeah, I did a degree in business and marketing and then worked in, in you know, uh, didn't have a proper job for 10 years until yeah. I started doing this. Yeah. Right. Did you work for IBM? That was my first job. Was it? Yeah, IBM, yeah, in um, Hertfordshire. Oh, was it? Oh, I did it. I did it. Me and Stu, very early on, did a, uh, like, my, our, my, our friend Tony Brennan. Do you know Tony Brennan? Yeah. He used to work for I, IBM. He, um, do you know? Yeah, yeah. That, this is one of those kind of... <laughs> he, 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 hey, but, you're Richard, right? You live in England? You know Dave? You must do, right? He's London, right? Dave. He's a great guy. Um, he booked me and Stu to be, to do a, a winter corporate on a boat for, I, for IBM. So we did, like, one of our first gigs was on a boat on the river, and I, I wondered if you'd been there. No. It was very snowy. I got off with the girl. It was great. And oh, I, yeah, yeah, obviously. And, uh, yeah, we all saw that. I got yeah, off with the girl like... who worked for IBM. It was good. Uh, I stole someone's coat who worked for IBM. And then I felt guilty about it the next day and brought it back. <laughs> I didn't have much respect for the people who worked for IBM because I thought I was poor and I thought they were all rich. Yeah, but you I still brought the coat back. Well, I did, but I don't know if I went in a coat or whether I didn't go in a coat and then it really, it was snowing. It was so good, I think it must have... good plan not to go in a coat. Yeah, and then you just take it. Because coat. then you just take it and you yeah. go, what? It's mine. <laughs> yeah. Well, what, do you think I'm an idiot? I'd come out in the snow with a coat. I must have left the coat that I came in there or didn't have a coat. And if I didn't have a coat, then I can steal a coat from someone who works for IBM, let them go home in the snow, in the cold, not, while I kiss their person who works with them. It's not exactly Ocean's Eleven, is no, it? it I mean, it's <laughs> close, then I, but... Then I felt guilty, and I pretended I'd taken it by accident. No one believed me. Ah, redemption story. No one believed me. Um, oh, well, it's a shame. I wondered if you'd been at that gig, and then you thought, hey, if those guys are doing comedy, anyone can. <laughs> were you, doing, uh, were you no. doing anything? Were you doing... I mean, it says that you sort of realised you wanted to do comedy, but were you doing other comedy in the... No, well, well, I was... As a, there's a now very successful composer, uh, Nitin Sawney, who does mm. movies and stuff like that. So uh, we started doing stuff together at college, and then... And we would do... We didn't really understand how gigging worked so we would spend about a month putting together a set and then do one show right. and then that would be it yeah then we do another one the following year and then it was about six or seven years later that um i said to him you know you're not you're not doing anything at the moment i'm not why don't we get together and just you know come up with stuff and it'll be fun and you know he was brilliant and still is a brilliant musician so we had that musical kind of element to it um we were called the secret asians and uh, <laughs> Gives you an indication of uh, how good the comedy was. And, um, yeah, we were doing one of these shows at the Oval House uh, in London, in, in their studio theatres. It was 50-seater or something. And we got reviewed in Time Out, and we got this five-star review. From Bonnie Greer. From Bonnie Greer. Yeah. Yeah, playwright Bonnie Greer. And, um, and some producers from the BBC turned up and said, we're thinking of doing a sketch show, and this is, 
the sort of material we're looking for, would you be interested? I mean, that's insane. I mean, it's great, but yeah, that's the kind is, of thing you sort nuts. of dream of happening. It <laughs> when is you nuts. start, go, I'll put on a show, and then a BBC... <laughs> yeah, this is the plan. <laughs> and then we'll be on a successful BAFTA award. What's your plan, <laughs> son? To get really lucky. <laughs> It'll never work. Well, ah, did, I, did I read somewhere that the producers, uh, producer tossed a coin as to whether they were going to come and see you? Is that true? Yes, well, the, the name of the show uh, was Papa Don Preach. And... Uh, <laughs> We were young, we were foolish. Uh, and, um, yeah, they tossed a coin. They kind of said, this, this really sounds shit. And, uh, and it was kind of, well, it's, it's you know, it's uh, 90 minutes. It was less than that, actually. It was about an hour and 15 minutes or something. Um, so it was either we flip a coin and go to the pub or we go and go to the show and then we can still go to the pub. So wow. uh, the coin turned up the right way for me. It's insane. It is nuts. I mean, I'm sure it would have happened anyway, but it's kind of it's crazy that that... Yeah, it is. It is. Well, also, and I'm I'm not sure if I've told anyone this before. Um, This is one of those things where you get afterwards. You'll say, "Do you do you really want that?" (laughs) So, um, so I was doing a uh, a TIE theatre and education stuff uh, with a company called Tara Arts, which is based in London, and we were going around schools around the country doing sort of forty-minute Shakespeare plays for Mm eight-year-olds. And, uh, and I did one in, in North London. There was two of us, and we used masks and puppets and stuff like that. And there was a, a, a lady that came up to me after one of the shows. I used to improv in The Tempest. Because they're eight years old. You have yeah. to keep their sort of uh, attention. And um, a lady came up to me afterwards, and she said, uh, that was very funny. You know, all the improv stuff you were doing was very funny. And I said, thanks. And she said, uh, do you do comedy? And I said, yeah. Uh, bless you. And... Uh, <laughs> And she said, um, well, you know, on your own, are you stand-up, or are you part of a duo? And I said, no, part of a duo. And she said, what are you called? And we didn't have a name, and we weren't doing anything at that point. And I said, we're called uh, Secret Asians. Oh, that's a pun. And she went, oh, yeah, yeah. And she said, um, I've not seen you on the circuit, because I kind of, you know, I kind of, like, you know, watch the circuit and stuff. And I said, no, no, I said, we're keeping a low profile. I said, uh, <laughs> My friend uh, is doing some music. I really wanted to work with kids, and so that's why I'm here. And she went, oh, that's really interesting. And I went and rang Nitin and said, I bullshitted some woman today after this thing, not realising that she was a journalist. And she wrote this up in The Independent. Right. And so then there was this article with me kind of going, yeah, you know, we're going to relaunch next year. And all this kind of stuff. And then we had to do a gig. And so that's why we, we ended up doing the gig. Incredible. Mm. A life just, of lies. Everyone's just lucky, and everyone's just luck. Just luck. Uh, <laughs> it's great. And uh, goodness gracious me, how can you go to a restaurant at any point in your life without people saying the, the one thing to you that they must say to you all the time? And what might that be? <laughs> About having an English. Yes. That, does that ever come up still? Uh, do you know what? It's really interesting. On Twitter, people... Because one of the, the lines in the... And the sketch was, you know, what is the, what is the blandest thing on the menu? Yeah. Give me the blandest thing on the menu. And um, somebody sent me a tweet, uh, not that long ago, actually, uh, and they were on uh, an airline, and I can't remember which one, but it's one of the options <laughs> was, was uh, European cuisine, in brackets, bland. <laughs> so, they must have racked their brains going, how do we describe this... Uh, you just got me. No, it's it's a salt. Not really salt. Sweet. No, it's really bland. Bland. 
It's bland. And um, so, yeah, this was printed up on a menu card. <laughs> I mean, there was lots of great sketches in, goodness gracious me, but that one did, like, resonate with, with people. Yeah, that, I, in a way, that became our flagship yeah, sketch, yeah. and it kind of, I suppose, set out our stall, if we had a stall. <laughs> That's not too, too much of a uh, uh, stereotype. Um, <laughs> in the shop. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it kind of, you know, it was a reversal sketch and, and all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, the four of us that wrote, so uh, Mira, my missus, and I, Sharat, Sadana, and Richard Pinto were the four main writers. And we, you know, we, we were just all into comedy. So we'd kind of watch stuff. We were watching stuff at the time. And so you get influenced by everything. But uh, it was Richard and Sharat that came up with, the, yeah. with that sketch mainly. Yeah, it's and do, do people still shout at you? Because I'm going to do all the, I'm for the rest of the interview. Are you? No, yeah, no, I'm not. Yeah, but it's, no, it, you can does, do. it, does, it, does it does it does it haunt you and follow you like sometimes those things can or of people? No, do you know what? On? It's it's. I mean, it's 20 years since since we we did it on since it first came on TV and we did three series, and uh, you know it's it's really uh, uh, humbling actually that people still remember it with such fondness and. And the strange thing is that a lot of people now found it on, on sort of YouTube clips and stuff like that. Um, but it's, I don't think it's aged that badly, you know. No, there was some of it obviously has, but um, actually a lot of the sketches still kind of work. And so it is, it is humbling that people still remember it fondly, yeah. and that's nice. It's great. And the, and the, the, the Kumars came after that. Was a, how, how long after... Goodness gracious me, was it? You did a couple of series of Goodness Gracious Me. And, well, uh, on, on, uh, you know, on our uh, recording day today, it was exactly to this day, 17 years ago. Right. So it was 2001, this okay. date. Okay. Uh, and, uh, so we're not going to tell you what date now. No, we're not. No. no. <laughs> none, of your, none of your fucking business. Um, but, uh, it was, but I had the idea uh, f- about five years earlier, and everybody turned it down. Right. And uh, I remember somebody at uh, one of the main channels uh, who I met with um, who said, uh, so what is this idea you've got? And I said, well, look, it's this family and they interview real guests and, you know, he's got his grandmother and his parents there and it'll, it'll just be good because you, you've got an older person asking questions and you've got an older woman asking questions, which, you know, a young guy can't uh, ask and everything. And he went, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, you know what would be really good? And I said, yeah. And he said, if the main interviewer was a woman a young woman and i said oh okay well i was thinking of playing the interview but let's hear it and he said and the reason that um the guests turn up every week is because she's got great tits <laughs> can you believe this and i kind of uh, and this was somebody involved in diversity <laughs> at that channel and i remember kind of we were in a pub and i just said right anyway that's your idea so good luck with that <laughs> I picked up my bit of A4 paper and I left. Yeah. So I had that for sort of four or five years. Right, and it was based on the, the reality of your home life with your mother and father, is that true? Well, it, uh, it was based on a particular incident, yeah. yeah there was a girlfriend, uh, Jeanette, who um, I took home to meet my parents. And it was the first time I'd taken a girl home to meet my parents. I was kind of quite nervous about it. And uh, we walked in through the door and I said, Jeanette, this is my mum, this is my dad. Mum, dad, this is Jeanette. And my dad said, uh, pleased to meet you. How much does your father earn? And, uh, and I said, Dad, you can't ask that. He said, it's only a question. She doesn't have to answer it. And I said, well, keep your voice down. It's no... And then my mum, voice of reason, stepped in and said, uh, you know, it's very... Uh, ignore him, Jeanette. It's very nice to meet you. You know, Sanjeev has always been terrible at handling rejection. And it was kind of like... It's the first 30 seconds. And 
So when we started doing Goodness Gracious Me, I remember sitting in my you know, room that I rented in uh, South London at that time, and, um, and I thought, God, I wonder if I ever meet anyone famous. And I thought, gosh, I wonder what, what would happen if I introduced them to my parents. And I thought, no difference. That's it. Yeah. And, uh, and what, was, what was lovely was that my parents came to see a lot of the recordings. And I remember after the... <laughs> uh, who did we have on? We had um, Helena Bonham Carter was on. And, uh, you know, there'd be a green room thing afterwards. And, and I, I introduced Helena to my mum. I said, Helena, this is my real mum. This is my mum. And Helena said, oh, it's lovely to meet you. And my mum said, she said, you're so, hello, you're so, such a pretty face you have. And she said, oh, thank you. She said, why in the last film did, did they make you a monkey face? <laughs> Which was the Planet of the Apes film had come out. And it was kind of like... Mini Driver. <laughs> yeah. Mini Driver had said that, you know, she was living in Los Angeles now and she doesn't live in London anymore. And my parents said, uh, we live quite near the airport and we have a Z-bed. <laughs> I'd say, if you ever need to start off. So they were doing that anyway. But. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a pretty cool interactive experience where you do the show and then you come back and meet the real people. Who are, yeah, who are. yeah. <laughs> they were not based on. You know. So you just reminded me, there was on, that yeah. f- on the first show we did, um, it was Richard E. Grant and Michael Parkinson. And my dad, before the show, had said, uh, can I invite someone? And I said, who? And he said, well, just can I invite someone? I said, well, it depends on who it is, Dad. I mean, who are you thinking of inviting? He said, I don't know. I haven't asked anyone yet. I don't know if they're available. <laughs> and I said, but I'd, I'd like to know who you're bringing to the show. And he said, I don't know. And I said, look, you can bring anyone except Uncle Sarinda. <laughs> all right? Because Uncle Sarinda always kind of just gets involved. And also, he has the largest turban <laughs> in history. It was like the motherships in Independence Day. But... And, and he said, no, no, of course not. So, you know, you go on to do the show. I walk on to say hello to the audience first. First thing I notice, row three. Backing, you know, mothership with, with Uncle Sarinda underneath it, dangling underneath his turban. And so it became, a, you know, like someone who's got a boil or something. You know, you, my eyes just drifted back to this huge turban. And afterwards, I was dreading him kind of like approaching either Richard E. Grant or Michael Parkinson and everything. And I said to my dad, I'd just, just keep him in the corner here. Uh, let him have his kind of like, you know, glass of pop or whatever. And I was talking to Michael Parkinson. And as I'm talking to him, I see this shadow fall <laughs> over Parky's face. And I just thought, oh, no. And then I heard a, Mr. Parkinson. And it was kind of like, I told you, Dad. <laughs> I think it works though because I mean it obviously it worked for lots of reasons very uh, beautifully put together but it, it's just like any family it, it, it wasn't even though it was an Asian family and there was there was the, those things in it it just it, that's just like my mum and dad as well that's, I think that's what I, I yeah. mean I think comedy you know is most potent when it's there's universality in it I mean I think it's it's most interesting when it's, uh, you know, specific. Yeah. Um, but within that specificity, you kind of hit all these things that are universal. And interestingly enough, uh, the commands shown around the world, it was everywhere around the world, it was a British comedy. Right. Except here. <laughs> it, in Britain, it was an Asian comedy. But it, everywhere else, I remember a, a review in, you know, the I don't know, San Jose Sentinel or some, some paper in, in, in America. Um, 
that said, <laughs> they said, we have no idea who the guests are. <laughs> Eamon Holmes, we have no idea what is an a- Eamon Holmes. But they said, we get, we get the fact yeah. that it's a family. We get that, you know, that the, the son is spoiled and the grandmother's a loose cannon and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I, I am pleased with it. I'm, I am proud of it. And it's interesting that, I mean, that's, again, I find celebrity a fascinating thing. But it, what's what's amazing is when you know uh, the the veil falls away, and if so, uh, Eamon Holmes in America is just a bloke. That's just why <laughs> yeah, you're talking yeah. about bloke. I did when I did talk talking cock was sort of done all over Europe and by different people in different languages. My stand up show I did, and there was a big opening in Norway, I think. And I went to this opening in Norway, and all these people walking in, all these glamorous clothes, and a kind of old guy with espadrilles on. And everyone's going, oh. and you think when you don't know who any of them are, it's just. What? It's just a, it's just an old bloke. Why has he got an eighteen-year-old girlfriend? How's this working? It's insane. So you got you know there's this sort of veneer of celebrity, which is interesting. And I guess you're you're choosing. I mean, you had obviously big stars on that show, but you're choosing interesting people to talk to that you well, know are going to be. But, it, but you you picked up on exactly uh, what was behind my kind of idea of, of making it in the first place, of coming up with it, which was that you know. Th- the moment they came through the front door and were confronted by a family, they could only be themselves. Like, there was, you know, that veneer of, of whatever celebrity was for them was absolutely stripped away. When you've yeah. got somebody who's older saying, do you want a cup of tea? Do you want a biscuit? Do you want a samosa? Do you, have you eaten samosas? Do you like samosas? Is it too hot for you? And um, it, so there was lots of domestics that yeah. were in there. And, uh, and I, I think it's very difficult when you've been involved in something, but um, I think it was quite disarming. I think, and uh, no, definitely. But I think you certainly saw a different side to uh, a celebrity. Yeah, and you'd worked with Mira for a long time before you became romantically involved. Was it seeing three, a, three years? Yeah, was it seeing her dressed up as a grandma that did it for you? Was that the? <laughs> Do you know what? I realised there were there were no surprises for me coming up <laughs> in fifty or sixty years. I just turned around and go, ah, there you are. Uh, she was she was the most uh, reluctant. Uh, person uh, of the cast to do it. I thought she was going to say to ever go out, to ever get romantically involved with me, but <laughs> ever put the teeth in <laughs> when we had sex. Um, she, uh, yeah, she was uh, really, yeah, because she kind of said she initially kind of said, "I oh, want, well, you know, do I want to just be known for playing a, an old lady and stuff?" And I said, "Well, what makes you think the show is going to be a success anyway?" <laughs> um, but also, I knew that. I couldn't think of anybody else who could improvise as well. And that was the thing that particularly Mira and myself needed to be able to yeah. improv. And, and we got to the stage where, you know, we knew when the other person was setting up a gag. So I remember with Jane Seymour uh, when she was a guest and she came on and I said, hello, Jane, you look very nice tonight. And she said, oh, thank you. And I said, your turn. And she <laughs> said, oh, you look very nice as well. And I said, yeah, um, pinstripes very slimming and I threw that out there as a and I, th- I knew that Mira would pick up on it and what she came back with was yeah you know those uh, pinstripes were a lot closer together before he put the jacket on <laughs> which is kind of brilliant you know and so the difficulty for me was not laughing in character you know yeah. being offended by it or something um, but yeah we had we'd worked on goodness gracious me that's where yeah. we met and so is that is, it's interesting when something develops over a period of time and obviously you're not together and then yeah suddenly you, you realize that, that yeah, there's something a there flight to australia yeah, I mean, it it's, a, it's a long flight <laughs> and something's got to give um yeah it, it is interesting because in a way we were i mean we were colleagues first and then we were friends for i don't know eight ten years i mean you know yeah. she she was with someone else i was with someone else and um 
so yeah, it was a long gestation period uh, in yeah. terms of get, us getting together. But also, when we got together, a lot of those uh, boxes had been ticked in terms of, you know, do we get on? Are we interested in the same things? Yeah. Do we problem solve in the same way? But particularly, as you know, with, <laughs> when you're working with somebody else in comedy, uh, it can be really intense. Yeah. And so problem solving within that is a great yeah, indicator. I never married Stuart. Didn't you? I mean, we fucked a couple of times, but it's... Uh, it's just to get the tension out. Did, did one of you get more fucked than the other? <laughs> I think so. I think it was me. Uh, so, <laughs> and you revived the Kumars, which I, I missed this, I am ashamed to say, but on Sky. No, yeah, don't be ashamed. Uh, it, was, um, it was very short-lived. Um, yeah, not entirely successful, actually. I mean, it was, we had some fantastic guests and there were some great moments, but... Sky uh, decided very, very <laughs> close to us uh, making the programme that they wanted it to be an hour. Right. And that was... And I wish now I'd said no. But uh, at that point, I felt the pressure of kind of like, you know, we'd got people hired and it was, let's, yeah. let's try it at an hour. But I think, you know, the reason that, that TV comedy works at a half hour is because uh, you can suspend comic disbelief for that long. I think that at an hour, you need something else. You need a, a narrative or it becomes a... You know, uh, uh, um, an entertainment show or hmm. you know, a variety show or something like that. Sure. You had Brian Blessed on. <laughs> Brian! <laughs> Do you know what? I, I got to ask him, I know he was on here, but I got to ask him my favourite question I asked every, anyone ever, which was Brian, is it true that you once punched a polar bear in the face? <laughs> Yes, yes, I did, yes, yes. He poked his nose in, you see, and, and I punched him in the face. It was kind of, he was, he's... <laughs> I mean, he's not of this world, is he? Did he go up not. Everest without any oxygen? Yeah, what I mean, he said, he, he, says, he said he's done a lot of things. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he said a lot of stuff. I, I tuned out after a while, if I'm honest. <laughs> Uh, I know you've been swatting up on the emergency questions. I know you, well, bought, you bought the emergency questions. I did buy it, yeah, because I wanted to be supportive. Yeah, that's not, not, not revision, <laughs> like you pointed I'm, out. I'm glad someone's bought it. Um, I'll ask one from the back of my book. So in, just in case you have been revising, don't we cheat? I've got some new ones in the back of my book. Uh, which, which sense could you do without? Would, if you had to lose one sense, which sense would you lose? God, I'd, I'd lose the sixth one I've got. Uh, I'd, I'd keep the other five. That's so, good, so, yeah, good, good mind reading. I'd, I'd lose that one. You, you, that's not fair. You knew that was coming. Uh, so. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Thank you. <laughs> uh, have you ever met Prince Andrew? No, I haven't. I'm I've seen him. Yeah, yeah seen no. him. I've seen him, yeah. Working around, doing, yeah, yeah. doing the stuff he does. Yeah, you know, doing that. Go Prince him. Andy stuff. When did you see him? Uh, oh, this is going to sound very name-droppy. Um, <laughs> it was at uh, Prince Charles's wedding. Oh, my God. Yes. Um, yeah, me and Mira got invited to Prince Charles's wedding to Camilla. Not, not the first wedding, <laughs> I should have pointed out. Uh, it's been pretty impressive you've been at that one. Yeah, I'd, uh, I'd, <laughs> if I had been, I would have been cleaning up afterwards. Uh, <laughs> times have changed. We've all, we've all moved on. Equal respect, equal opportunities. Uh, and so, yeah, the, I think the entire royal family were there. So they sort of walked. We were in the church at St. George's Chapel or whatever it is in Windsor. And, um, yeah, they all walked past. So I saw yeah. Prince Andrew. What was he up to, anything? <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't see his hands. No, okay. So he's probably all right. Yeah. Probably all right. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Uh, and let's see what else I've got. Oh, this is a question that usually gets asked to women in the Daily Express that I've decided to only ask my male guests. Oh, yeah. What's your beauty secret? <laughs> oh, gosh, that's a good one, isn't it? Uh, my beauty secret is just uh, just agree with your missus. Because <laughs> the thing is that, you know, because if your missus hits you, they know how to hit you without the bruises showing. <laughs> so, but then you walk funny. And so, you know, to avoid that whole thing yeah. of walking funny and people going, why are you walking funny? <laughs> um, it's, uh, yeah, just that's my beauty tip. Okay. That's good. Yeah. And hair dye. <laughs> <laughs> so you've become quite serious. You've moved over into serious acting. I'm always suspicious of the comedians moving o- away from comedy. It usually comes but from it's... the comedians who can't. Um, <laughs> but I'm it's, joking. you know, but it's... you know, you, I, well, I saw an interview when you were doing Spam a lot, which I want to talk to you about as well, but um, saying that, you, you know, you, as a, you know, you're not necessarily getting offered those leading man parts and you're not getting offered serious parts very much. So obviously that's changed since that. Since that, that was about 10 years ago, seven, eight years ago. Probably. Yes, that's right. Uh... Yeah. Yeah, no, it's uh, well, no, the um, no, I'm not a leading man anyway. Well, so you know, I'm we're both a, of a similar stature. We are a similar height. We are, and that, uh, that, that, that not dissimilar age. No, so well. that means yeah, that often some. If I'm a leading man, that means that I could be. Yeah, mm. and if you're not a leading man, that means <laughs> I probably am not. Um, <laughs> No, it's uh, no. I'm not. I'm not a leading man in in, in that kind of sense at all. I mean, I think that. Uh, do you know what? I don't approach drama any differently to comedy. I think that was with Unforgotten, which is a series I did, I did uh, have been doing and am doing. Um, I got asked that question a lot actually, which is oh, uh, you know, the comedy to drama thing. And I said I don't approach it any differently because you're, you're playing a character, and then either funny shit happens to them or serious shit happens to them. <laughs> the only difference, and then when I was talking to them, I said. The difference is comedy is much more technical because, you know, comedy can come from obviously, a, a, you know, a punchline or it can come from a word or it can come from a pause. But if it comes from a pause, if the pause is too short, not funny. Too long, not funny. There's a sweet spot on the pause. And you don't have that with drama. And so, 
And also, comedy requires a very specific reaction, yeah. uh, which drama doesn't. You know, people had to wail to let, the, let you know that the drama had worked. <laughs> It'd be a different kind of uh, yeah, yeah. beast. But, um, so, yeah, I, do th- I then thought, actually, comedy is just harder. It is harder. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of actors say that. A lot say, oh, I wish I could do comedy, I wish I could be, you know, a lot of, I, you know, you've worked with amazing actors, but, you know, I, you're talking to these actors that occasionally come, come across, like, oh, I, to do stand-up comedy, that was, must be amazingly difficult. And you go, but, you know, you work, you've done Shakespeare and these harrowing roles. Uh, and they, they, they do feel that, but it's sort of weird the way comedy gets treated as a, as uh, you know, certainly in award terms and things like that, it gets treated as a, oh, as it's a lesser the, yeah, thing. Yeah, it's a poor cousin, isn't it? Yeah. It, it always has been. No, I think that's ridiculous. I mean, it's kind of, uh, with the Oscars particularly, they always pointed yeah. out there that there's very few comedy films that have kind of... Uh, uh, and you think about the great comedy films. I mean, for me, it's, you know, Some Like It Hot or uh, uh, Spinal Tap or, yeah. you know, any of those things. Um, the two, two of the three Python films, I think, are genius. Yeah. And they're not going to get any close, anywhere close to it. I mean... Um, but I think BAFTAs are slightly better than the Oscars. I remember uh, Fish Called Wanda won yeah. uh, a few. Michael Palin won, and I think um, John Cleese won something for that. Might have won Best Film. Um, but it is rare. It's very rare. And, uh, yeah, I think, you know what? It's that weird thing. I, did you ever get this? Um, particularly when you, when you were on TV. All right. Well, and then... <laughs> radio. That thing of uh, people coming up to you and going, yeah, my mate's funnier than you. You got my they cousin, never did because they? Uh, no, because they, they weren't. They weren't. They knew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, but I also think that's true. You know, it, it is true that like sometimes people's mates are funnier than you. Uh, I would been, always say, yeah, they yeah, probably are. Yeah. I don't know them. Uh, it's uh, but you know, there's lots of funny people in the world, and actually, it's not. You know, it's not the ability to be funny in the pub that makes you a good comedian. That's it. It's the, all the work involved, except for you, where you just do a gig and someone comes along and says, yeah. "Here's the yeah, TV yeah. show." Yeah. <laughs> But you know, it is, you've got it's a positive you, discrimination but, gone mad. <laughs> but no, you even for what you're talking about, you know, the amount you're you're putting in, it's it, the thing you're saying is true. That comedy is the same effort as it's just acting, and it's it's about truth. So even yeah. though the Kumars, you know, it's 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 hyper real. It's not a real situation, but you've got to believe and act that situation exactly as if it are true within that. Just as if you're doing a serious police forensic drama, you've got to get into that character and be true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I, but I think comedy is harder because it is more technical. Yeah. And, you know, people are adept at it, and that's great because they've just got a natural kind of uh, affinity for it, and they can, they can perform it and present it, and that's brilliant. But you've got, you know, you've got fantastic comedy writers who are not particularly great on stage, yeah. and, you know, that's another skill. But I think it's a very... Uh, I, I agree with you. I think it's a really underrated skill yeah. as well. But in the same way that... You know, actors as well. I mean, you wouldn't go to see a concert, for instance, and see someone play, I don't know, Rachmaninoff or, you know, back in the day, see Oscar Peterson playing jazz and come out and go, I could do that. <laughs> Shit, I could do that. With actors, people do. They come out of a cinema and they go, I'm better than him. Yeah. And with comedians, it's, it's even more so. It is. And I think it's easy to do that it's easy, with both because you think, oh, it looks easy and like, yeah. I can tell a joke and I can pull a stupid, I can pull a serious face. <laughs> but when you start working with great actors, you really see the, the difference and the craft in it. And, you know, I think... Well, you, but also because I think, you know, it's an intangible skill. I yeah. mean, until someone actually gets up on a stage and, and performs to an audience and tries to connect with an audience, it's just an abstract thing, you know. It's... Uh, um, so yeah, I think it's in, whereas a musical skill, for instance, is very tangible. Yes, you know, it's uh, 
Yeah. And doing accents, that's just a tangible skill I have. Yeah, are you, are you yeah. all gifted that way, yeah, actually. Did you have to work on them, or did you...? No, I just, I just, you know, I just think, what's a Welsh person like? <laughs> and what's an Indian person like? It's the same. And what's a Scottish person like? A bit, just a bit colder. Lean a bit less seaweed, and then it's there. Bang, it's, it's gone. So, um... Uh, you, I love that you, you crop up in uh, I was watching uh, Notting Hill the other day and I kind of have this love-hate thing with Richard Curtis and I think he's an amazing writer and, but some of the films are uh, Notting Hill's actually a, you know, maybe the only uh, ethnic person in Notting Hill I mean, but, uh, but you, you, t- you crop up in the, in the restaurant with, yeah, I, was, uh, I think it was Angry Man at restaurant number three right? I think, which is my film debut it was the first one you were in it was great yeah and it was, it was I mean it was exciting to be on a yeah. film set but also I was doing a scene with Julia Roberts and Hugh Grant yes and I remember we read through uh, the scene beforehand so um, and Julia Roberts kind of said I said oh this, it's fine I'll stand because there weren't enough seats and she said no no I'll move here and you can sit here and I sat down and her seat was still warm <laughs> and I thought has she farted on it <laughs> And then I thought, can there be transference of DNA from this? To can I, can I, if I, if I, you know, suck it in, could it be DNA? Can you get DNA from a fart? You must yeah, be able to, right? Yeah. If you can get it from breath. Yeah. They've caught a lot of criminals because they've farted in the suit. That, that fart database. <laughs> yeah. The it's just a bloke smelling. Fart. Yeah, I know that one. The Farting yeah. Bureau of Investigation. I tell you who doesn't do that job, Rick Edwards. Uh, it's, yeah. um... <laughs> was she nice, Julia Roberts? Would you say if she wasn't nice? I would say if she wasn't nice. Yeah. Uh, she, she was nice, yeah. yeah. She was very, uh, you know, a little bit withdrawn. She wasn't kind of, uh, she was very polite and she was very warm and stuff. Uh, whereas Hugh Grant was very engaging and smiley and... and I did Paddington 2 with him, uh, and he was in which he was fantastic. Well, it's an awesome film. So that's what I mean. Paddington 2, I know it surely has won lots of awards, but that's such an awesome film because it's a comedy, because it's a comedy and a kids' show, kids' film. It might be like, oh, you know, it's Paddington 2, but genuinely one of the most entertaining films I've ever seen. Yeah, do you know, I would agree. And yeah. it's kind of, and, and I thought the first one was brilliant as yes, well. Was, yeah. But Hugh Grant in it was, it's, was, it's it like was. he was unshackled. Yeah. And uh, he did some of the best improvising I have ever seen in my life. Right. A lot of which got cut um, <laughs> because they moved scenes around. But uh, he was just in the zone. And it was, because he started off in comedy. You know, yeah. he, was in, yeah. um, uh, he was in a, a comedy trio, I think. It was right, yeah. started. The... Uh, jockeys, nearly, jockeys of Norfolk. That's it, Jockeys of Norfolk. Yeah, well done. Um, so he started in comedy, and uh, and he was brilliant in it. But yeah, he was really fun, and he was engaging and stuff. And Julia was a little bit more Julia, like I know her. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I remember going on a um, an Asian program at the time. Uh, and I thought it was stupid. I was in one scene, and you know, Angry Man in Restaurant Number Three. I don't I even have a bloody name. Uh, and I went on to plug it. And uh, the first thing I said, I said, look, I just want to quash the rumours about the affair that me and Julia Roberts are having. And she went, what affair? And I said, the, 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 the rumours I'm trying to start now? I, t- I just want to quash the rumour I'm trying to start about having an affair. But um, no, she was, she was uh, yeah, she's very warm and she's very striking. It's a weird film. Notting Hill? Yeah. Yeah. Like, why is she interested in him and what's going on? She's horrible. She's horrible to him all the way through. 
She's but she's Julia Roberts. Oh, and fuck so, it, but that's you know. Yeah, but you say that now. But I say know. that having dated some actresses, I know Hugh Grant's character is going to get shafted. <laughs> in that film. But uh, yeah, you know, well, there's nothing it, really. That, that, you know, it's from, but this is what happens in a lot of Richard Curtis's stuff. There's this kind of romantic ideal of love sort of springing up from nowhere, and there's no. You know, this is not... You want the sorry reality of your yeah. own life reflected back <laughs> at you. <laughs> like you haven't had enough. I want Julia Roberts to realise Hugh Grant isn't all that good and then come over to Balham, where I was living at the time. The film should be called Balham. <laughs> if she's just going to hook up with anyone who just bumps into her in a fucking bookshop. I might have some issues of my own there, but... Uh... <laughs> It's a good scene. It's a good scene, the restaurant scene. Did it, when you yeah, were sitting in that restaurant, did any of the other cast come up to you and say... <laughs> it was Should be- we go for an English? It was before it had to be ah, called damn. Damn. But, uh, I think, goodness gracious me, hadn't gone out really? at that point. Okay. Yeah. Although I did learn something in that scene about continuity, which was that... So we were at uh, a Japanese restaurant, and so they put out this plate of sushi, and I thought, oh, fantastic, this is great. And I thought, that prawn looks fantastic. I'm going to save that prawn to the end. I'm going to have that manky bit of tuna first so I can get that out of the way. And, of course, we shot the scene, and they say, cut, and they come back, they give you another plate, and they go, make sure you eat the tuna. <laughs> we've already got a shot of you. So for four hours, it was manky looking tuna. At the, looking at the prawn. Oh, the prawn taunting me. <laughs> <laughs> You're the Chancellor of Sussex University. I am, yeah. How's that? Do you want a degree? Yeah, please. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Salted, that's how it works. Uh, yeah, that was bizarre. Um, I, I, I followed uh, Lord Attenborough, who was right. Chancellor for 10 years. They, do you know what? They contacted me and said, uh, you know, how would you feel about being Chancellor? And I said, yeah, great. I said, you're not going to choose me, but God, what an honour to be asked. And then I said, look, you know, I, um, I, I got rejected by the University of Sussex <laughs> when I played. It was my first choice and they rejected oh, me. Really? And so I tell the students that every um, degree ceremony. <laughs> I say, you never know how the future's going to turn out. Because <laughs> I said, yeah, look, I didn't get in there and I was really disappointed. And now, you know, I was you bastards. I've come in and I'm in charge. I'd have gone in and fucked the place up. Yeah. <laughs> right, I'm the chancellor. I'm like, I should start throwing Sometimes things around. <laughs> you fuckers. I wasn't good enough for you before. Why do you like me now? I wouldn't have been Chancellor for very long, but it would have been a great day. Can you imagine <laughs> attempting to do a dirty protest across an entire campus? I mean, you know, one small room. You, look, watch it, you know, watch these documentaries, and they go, God, it was a dirty protest in his cell. And you go, God, how long did that take? I mean, that can't be one shit, can it? I mean, that's got to be... Wait, and did it, it nobody check in between and go, he's shitting on the walls. <laughs> I'm the Chancellor! <laughs> <laughs> There we go. Be good. Student union. <laughs> and so your parents came over from India, but you did a show about going back to India because of the partition, right? It was yeah, the... I like to call it a documentary. Yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> it makes it sound a little more highbrow than it We opened with a song. Musical. Uh, two Ronnie's parody of partition. Um, yeah, I did, it was a doc series that I did. Uh, it was India at 60 years of independence. So it was about t- 10, 11 years ago. Um, and, yeah, I kind of uh, uh, went round India and retraced my dad's steps in right. a kind of, you know, who the fuck do you think you are kind of uh, manner. <laughs> um, 
so crossed into Pakistan because they were both born uh, born in in what is now Pakistan, and then at partition in 1947 they had to move as refugees. And uh, my mum got out slightly early. My dad was slightly later, and he ended up in a refugee camp in Delhi. And it was that thing you left with whatever you could carry. Right. And uh, and in a way, this is the interesting thing about partition in terms of the ripple effect of it is that. Uh, obviously, it created you know uh, three new countries in the region: India, Pakistan, and Bangladesh. Uh, two of which now have nuclear weapons, which is yes. <laughs> wasn't a great forward planning thing. Um, but also, a lot of those people who'd been displaced, like my parents. I mean, there was over a million people that died. It's the largest exodus in history. So, it's over fifteen million people had to move uh, with only a few weeks' notice as to where the border was going to come down, and. Um, it's not then surprising that a lot of those people who were displaced are the ones who then kind of uh, emigrated to Britain, to Canada, and to America. Mm. And so my dad was part of this. So my dad came to Britain in 1956, so he was kind of fairly early, an early adopter. And, um, and my mum, uh, 1960. Right. And they, did they meet in the UK then, presumably? No. So no, this is the weird thing is that they, they met in India, but my uh, dad's older brother was married to my mum's older sister so we always my sister and i used to say of course it was the cut price indian musical <laughs> two brides for two brothers uh, and um so they kind of knew each other beforehand yeah and so I'm, I'm sort of interested in how things are going now compared to how things were going then with my parents they're well, very you, very but... happy uh, <laughs> they've, they've stuck it out and, uh... good for immigrants to this country and yeah. people and the children of immigrants <laughs> Because it felt like we were progressing forwards, hopefully. I mean, I'm presuming your parents maybe encountered some difficulties when they got here. Yeah, I mean, it's... It, you know, the, I'm, I'm, my earliest memory is two and a half. And so I've got uh, fairly vivid memories from sort of three onwards. And so I kind of remember what they went through. And yeah. so, you know, them attempting to protect me from it, or, you know, I'm, which was done with the best intentions, didn't work because I kind of, I clocked everything. Yeah. So, you know, we had that thing of, uh, so we lived above a laundrette in Hounslow in uh, Middlesex, west of London. And, uh, and I remember my parents having to paint over swastikas painted on their front door and packies out and all this kind of stuff. And uh, in a way, the weird thing about the 70s, if you lived through the 70s with the amount, particularly with racism and sexism and everything else, uh, is that... Um, you kind of, it's not that you got used to it, but it kind of toughened you up in a slightly different way. So you, for me now, when I see kind of, you know, the stuff that goes on on social media particularly, it's, I'm, I'm less affected by the name calling, you know, it, 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 because I've lived through that and, and I saw worse than that. And so sure. in a way, uh, it's not a, a defining badge for me, which I think it is for a lot of people who are younger. Do you see that on you see it on Twitter sometimes? If yeah, yeah. Take huge offence at being called a name, and I kind of go, yeah. It's kind of like it's, it's a bunch of letters that form a word. It's kind yes. of like, I mean, my, I remember my mum saying to me when I was a kid uh, that you know uh, an insult is only an insult once you've accepted it as one. Yeah. Up until that point, it isn't. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so uh, so I grew up with that. But we have you know we have the National Front um, recruiting outside our school, and so the only person they ever recruited was a Sikh kid um <laughs> seriously there's juggy and um, because uh they wouldn't get anyone we, we had about a third about a third of our school was was asian and uh, juggy just misunderstood repatriation <laughs> and he said what do they mean by repatriation we said well they'll they'll, they'll they'll pay for you to go home and he said what 
Hounslow. And we said, <laughs> if that's where you live, that's where it'll be. And he said, what, the bus fare? Or We said, yeah, the bus fare, the bus fare. So he went up to this guy and said, you want to send me home? And he went, uh, yeah. And they, so he said, okay, I'll sign up. He said, do I, do I get it now or do I get it? When do I get it? <laughs> 30p. When do I do I get it? No. He just, the guy just looked really confused. Yeah. It's the only only person ever they re, only person they recruited. And do you think it's do you think we're heading backwards or forwards in, within this? Do you think it's well, Richard? That is a very big question indeed big that question. you've asked. Uh, you want an answer? Yeah. I see. That's why you ask the question. <laughs> That's how questions and answers work. Um, I think you know on, broadly we've moved forward, but I think you know the same thing applies to sexism and ageism and everything else, which is that. So I've, I've been doing a... I don't, know, I don't know if I'm supposed to kind of talk about this or not, so I will. Um, so th- there's a doc series that the BBC are doing, and I'm doing one part of it. And uh, um, and we were, I was looking at activists. And so um, the episode that I'm doing, uh, I'm interviewing people about Martin Luther King. Uh, who is it? Uh, Helen Keller, blind and deaf Helen Keller. Um, Emmeline Pankhurst and Gandhi. And the interesting thing about talking to people who knew... Um, particularly Helen Keller and, and um, Martin Luther King, because they both died in 1968, was I kind of asked the question, what would, what would they think about you know, the situation now? And with all of them, with, with Gandhi, with, with uh, Emmeline Pankhurst as well, was that everybody kind of said, they'd be slightly depressed. <laughs> because the thing is that they made such huge strides at that point. Yeah. But, you know, if you got votes for women in sort of 1930 was when they got votes for some women, you would have thought, yeah, within the next 20 years, yeah, women will have the vote. They'll be equal. And then you kind of go now and things like equal pay and stuff like that Mm. is still a really, really big issue. So I think that we have generally moved forward because also, I mean, I'm stunned at at how, you know, the, the, the shift to the right that the world has made in the last few years. I mean, I just don't get it. You know, you get someone like the President of the United States who's, who's fact-checked on a daily basis, and you've got people going, that's 30 lies today. There was another 30 lies today, another 10 lies today. And you go, and all these people are kind of going, no, that's the person we're backing. And, and you know, with that kind of attitude, that is the danger, because you kind of go, he in particular, but, you know, and people who love him and think he's great. Um, think that that behavior is fine so you know his attitude towards uh whether it's uh, women whether it's kind of uh ethnic minorities well everyone except him and yeah. his family basically um is kind of justified in some way and it enables a load of people the one thing that i think is hopeful and where i do think we've kind of moved on is that there is a strong kind of counter voice to that and in the 70s you had kind of you know, the anti-fascist kind of, like, uh, brigades that would turn up to all the NF things. And I think now, with online and the rest of it, I think it's just as powerful. And I think that, you know, we just, you know, Remembrance Day wasn't that long ago. And it was, uh, you kind of go, all those people in those wars died for an ideal. And then you get, you look at the ideals that people are chasing now, and you go... Has that just bypassed you, all that stuff? Well, there's people wearing poppies and swastikas, you know, that's a... Is that hedging your bets? <laughs> it is. I think it's a slight misunderstanding. I'm not sure we, how this is going to turn out. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I think overall we have. But yeah. I think that, you know, that counter voice, I think, is really important. Because I think, you know, the, it's the centre that gets squeezed out. And so you just get extremes that are shouting at each other over your head. 
And so, uh, you know, that counter voice of kind of, uh, uh, which is reasonable and reasoning, I think is really important. I do see a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. Bloody Nazis. Yeah. Um, Oh, those guys. Honestly. Let's give them another try and see how they do this time. (laughs) That's what I say. But the weird thing is, you kind of go, because I did marketing, right? So, um, you know, Nazism in the Hitler fashion, not now, the the twats now, the one, got no dress sense at all. But (laughs) at that time, the whole styling of that thing was really clever. Yeah. You know, the Lenny Riefenstahl kind of films and... You know, the uniforms, I mean, everything was, it was kind of well thought out. It was quite, it was a famous um, designer, wasn't it, who designed the, was it the SS uniforms? And the, Hugo was, Boss, was it? I mean, I don't want to slander Hugo Boss. It, does anybody know? He's a cunt, though. So, yeah, it was Hugo Boss. It was Hugo Boss. Yeah, yeah. And Volkswagen. Ian, yeah. Ian Volkswagen. He made the Volkswagen. Um, yeah, there were, you know, there was a lot. There was a lot going from you. Talked me around to Nazis. <laughs> well, I, before before I met you, I was thinking the Nazis weren't all that great. But now the marketing. You want to take the Nazis and you go, look, I don't give a shit about all that stuff. You go, what um, what clothes do you think you'd be wearing? <laughs> nice. Oh, turn ups are back. Um, so let's uh, we'll move on from that. But thank you for sharing that. Uh, it's uh, let's talk about Monty Python. You've like you've worked with. You know, and know most of the, all of the Monty Python guys, or the living ones? <laughs> yeah, the living ones. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've met them all. I've worked with uh, three of them. I've, I, I, oh, no, I've worked with all of them. Yeah, yeah the ones yeah. that are living, yeah. yeah. And I'm friends with uh, friends. three of them. Uh, that's, do you know what? It's really weird, Richard. It's really odd. <laughs> uh, I, I'm so, sorry to name drop again. I apologise in advance. Uh, not really. Um, <laughs> otherwise, I just wouldn't say it, would I? Um, but... Uh, Something I do, I genuinely find uh, sort of really rooting and, and quite humbling is that when I think about my journey, right, and I don't know if you reflect on, on yours. You, you do when you have kids, don't you? Because you go, bit, yeah, yeah. wow, look, look well, you've got a kid now and this is amazing. And um, Is that I think about the posters I had on my wall when I was 15. And I had the Python, so they were there. There was a Life of Brian poster I had. I had one of uh, James Bond. I had Roger Moore, James Bond, then I Clint Eastwood and James Dean and Animal from the Muppets. I had a Laurel and Hardy and Elvis, Beatles. You've worked with all of them since. Do you know what? It's that weird thing. <laughs> I met three of the Beatles. Yeah. Um, and uh, what's strange is I kind of go, you know, I'm friends with some of these people. Now, yeah. And that's really straight. I mean, so with some of the Pythons and Roger Moore, I was friends with, I became friends with, which was, which was bizarre and wonderful. And, uh, and it's like they've stepped off my 15-year-old wall when, when nothing was going for me. And I, th- I thought, I'm, not, I'm never going to do the stuff that, all this stuff that I'm interested in. I'll, I'll never end up doing that. And, and that's a really weird and warm moment, actually. Can I tell you something about Roger Moore? Yes, please so, do. One of the funniest things, he was really, really funny, a very supportive guy. And I said to Roger once, I said, um, uh, I said, Roger, have I ever told you that Live and Let Die was the first Bond film I ever went to see at the cinema? And he, he shook his head. And I said, oh, you know, it was, yeah, it was, I was nine or ten years old. And I said, that's the first Bond film. And I said, in those days, you had continuous programming. So when they showed the film, they'd wait 15 minutes and then they'd start running the film again. And, and I said, so the film finished. And I thought, 
yeah, I watched the beginning. Beginning was great. I watched another half an hour. That'd be great. I watched an hour. That's great. I said, Roger, I watched the whole thing twice. Sat there, watched the whole thing twice. And he paused for about two seconds and he said, you owe me £4.50. <laughs> It was another time, and I, I, I'd, I'd written a book, and I, I, I'd got him to sign his book to me, and I said, is it okay if I give you my book, and I'll sign it to you? And he said, yeah, and, I, and I'd put to Hamara, Roger Moore, and Hamara in Hindi means hour, because when I was a kid, my mum used to go, the equivalent of hour, Roger Moore's on the telly, and we'd, the whole family would get together and watch Roger Moore. And so I'd put Hamara, Roger Moore. And I said, um, maybe I should explain what Hamara means. And he said, may I hazard a guess? <laughs> and I said, yeah, sure, Roger. He said, I'm guessing shithead. <laughs> I said, Roger, I'd never rea- I know you did octopus. I never realized you were fluent in Hindi. That's uh, absolutely extraordinary. <laughs> so, but you you did spam a lot, and you were King Arthur and spam a lot, which was uh, yeah, that was bonkers as well, wasn't it? Was it? Great, but the, what an amazing thing to happen! It a was... to be end up being in the play of that film that presumably you watched as a kid, yeah, and, yeah, and loved, but then also to be King Arthur as well and be Asian King Arthur, which is well, wonderful. that was the thing. That was the weird thing was I I went to the audition as my agent said. Uh, uh, they want you to audition for King Arthur in Spamalot. And I said, well, they're not going to give it to me, but I, I've never been to a musical audition before. So let me go along and see what happens, because I, I have no idea. So I went along, and you had to you know, sing a couple of songs and do some of the lines, so I did that. And uh, then about uh, a week or two later, he, my agent said, you've got the job. And, uh, and I thought, oh, my God. And I, I looked at the script properly, and yeah, all those lines from Holy Grail that you used to do in the playground, you know, all that... <laughs> The night, it's, you know, it's uh, certainly a flesh wound. Uh, and singing, you know, always look on the bright side of life every night was, was extraordinary. And then the poster was me, uh, well, my face uh, on a Union Jack, behind a Union Jack. Oh, in front of a Union Jack, behind a Union Jack, that's it. Um, it's a shit poster, and I've never forgiven them for it. Um, but um, I remember a lot of people kind of said to me at the time, they said, uh, well, you know, Asian King Arthur... And I said, well, it's actually King Art, like Art Malik. And, uh, and I said, if you needed your horseshoeing at three o'clock in the morning, where else were you going to go? It was in the agent shop that was open. Um, but I did say, look, you know, if people are thinking about my ethnicity when they leave, then I haven't done my job. Then they haven't bought into the character. So that was really interesting to kind of uh, uh, then just make the audience believe that it was a character that, you know, that wasn't as good as, you know, Graham Chapman, <laughs> which is what everyone thinks when they go and see it. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of a bit, again, it's a bizarre choice. I've not actually seen Spam a lot, but it's, a, it's an interesting choice from Eric Idle to make some more money, uh, but, <laughs> which he seems to like to do. But, you know, but people love that film, and it is a brilliant, brilliant film, and there's so many, there's so many, we watched it again, I mean, I've watched it so many times, we, it's on Netflix, and we watched quite a lot of the Monty Python stuff on uh, Netflix recently, and you know, loads of it stands up. And the, those, yeah, Brian and and Grail really stand up. Yeah, I think they man. really do. I mean, the, the interesting thing about Life of Brian is I don't think it would get made now. No, but actually, what it says about religion and politics is is absolutely, um, you know, still apt and true and real. Yeah. And uh, and and Holy Grail is just there's a, it's you know, it's that brilliant thing that. Actually, I think Richard Curtis does really well, which is it's a, it's a series of sketches that are linked with a narrative. I mean, yes, with yeah. Python, they gave, up, I mean, they gave up on the narrative at the end of Holy Grail. But um, 
they're brilliant, brilliant sketches. The you know the the witch scene is is fantastically well written. Yes, yeah. You know, um, so yeah, those were the influences anyway. Yeah, but what were your influences? Well, like, I'm, we're very similar. I mean, you know, the, all the things you've said are the things that I like as well. So I liked. Uh, I mean, I was Rick Mayo, maybe because I was yeah. a, I'm a touch younger than you, but I'm, I'm sure you were into the yeah, the yeah. young ones and. I mean, it was Python and not that it was not news, but then the young ones were really the, the, the big thing for me because it felt like my generation. Whereas Python was always like a thing that was sort of there, but you couldn't touch in a way because it was either it was Life of Brian was like a PG and I wasn't allowed to go and see it, although we did in the end. Uh, or the TV series wasn't, wasn't repeated, you know. So if you yeah, weren't yeah. there, I think, I think there was one, they repeated some of it at one point. But it was still late at night, and I wasn't able. It to was say, late at night, yeah. Wasn't really. Was there ever a film that you sneaked into underage? Yeah, I, well, uh, loads of things. Um, the the be- well, I went to see Kentucky Fried Movie, which that, was, I went to see that, which was yeah. on a double bill with the other Cinderella, which was a very. <laughs> I've got the poster of Paul Putner. He was in our stuff. Bought found the poster of this double bill, the Kentucky Fried Movie, which was the Zucker Zucker mm. Brothers sort of precursor to Airplane. Slightly sexy stuff in it, but mainly really kind of well. Th- there was a big Enter the Dragon kind of... Um, yeah, there was a big Enter the Dragon did, parody. Yeah. There was some great stuff in it, and there yeah. was some slightly <laughs> weirdly racist and weirdly, you know, booby... Girl, girls with their boobs out being in showers, which I did not enjoy. No. Because I was a feminist. And then... So what, how is this essential to the plot? <laughs> and then the other Cinderella was uh, the Cinderella story told in a soft porn film. And, we, and I was 14, mm. uh, and me and my 14-year-old friends all went to see it, and... It was an 18, an X certificate, as it would be then. Uh, and we decided to go in in the order we thought we'd get in. <laughs> so we didn't send the least likely person first. We sent the most likely person in first, which just is typical, isn't it? So if we'd, if we'd not all got in, we'd have just left the straggle. And what was that based on? Well, based on who we thought looked the oldest and the tallest. So Phil Fry, who was the, young, who was the oldest, actually looked the youngest. He was a real baby face. He still hmm. is. He's 52 years old and has a baby face. And he, he was quite small. So he was last. And I think I might have been second last. And the taller ones went in first. And they, she, the woman let four of us in. And then she went, oh, no, not you. You're too young. And we went, no, no, he's 18. He said, no, he's 18. We basically did the Monty Python. <laughs> in unbroken voices. But did you, did you kind of like uh, dress up or make yourself look old? I don't did think do we really did. I, you know, I think we knew there was a good chance we'd get in. I, th- I seem to remember once going to like an X film and asking for a half. <laughs> Which obviously Half uh, what? It's a, it's a big mistake because you're supposed to say, yeah, but I'm only fourteen. Ah, oh, yeah, uh, <laughs> so I'm not allowed in. Uh, but yeah, they basically the Wells Odeon. It's not there anymore. They'd let children in to see porn films. It was fine. <laughs> it, was, it was a different time. It was fine, but it was very exciting watching the other Cinderella with my friends all sitting with erections in a row. Yeah. <laughs> Did you do that thing of sort of looking at, avoiding eye contact <laughs> yes, or giggling? Yeah. Or I think there was a bit of giggling. All I remember, the, my main thing I remember is like a Somerset man at the back of probably a 15-year-old. It was probably, like, it probably is the Monty Python sketch where every, everyone in the cinema was probably little boys dressed up as men. Uh, and uh, there was a scene where a bloke just went in, Pert nipples! Uh, and I, mean, I can still say that to my friends and we'll still laugh. Pert nipples! Pert nipples! <laughs> That was before the loop system was. Uh, yeah, was well, I don't know. Maybe we could have stayed in, but you know, it was a long old hall. I mean, Kentucky Fried Movie is a is a decent enough comedy. Yeah, yeah. The other right, Cinderella, yeah, uh, into Cinderella, other Cinderella, I wouldn't nest. I mean, there's better things online now if you want to <laughs> if you want to masturbate to hardcore pornography. 
which I do not want to Although do. the whole thing about porn films and puns still persists, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. that's the whole thing of yeah. the Cinderella and shaving Ryan's privates and you know, yeah. all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it does a little bit. But it's kind of slight. There was a charming old world. <laughs> of perversion. It was, it was a, a happier time, wasn't it? Where just pornography was just a woman touching another woman's breast and we left it at that and that was enough. Somerset in the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we did, and I did get into... And I don't know why, if my parents just turned a blind eye. Or, my parents were quite strict. They didn't want me to go and see Life of Brian. I had all the uh, albums, the LPs of the Monty Python stuff, and I wasn't allowed to go, you know, so I'd heard it all, and I'd got the book, and I'd learnt it all off by half. But they, did they not want you to go because of the religious overtones? or because A of, little bit, but I think also because it was a PG or whatever it was. It was different all over the yeah. country. It was, it was banned in some places, and some places it was an X, and some places it was a 14, and I think it was probably just under Yeah, 14. I think it was banned, was it banned in Norway? And I think Sweden then... And like some places in England as well, and Wales. I yeah, think. there were towns. Yeah. Right yeah, yeah, yeah. It was towns. Yeah, exactly. There was one I think that only lifted the ban about ten years yeah, ago. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think I, I can't remember which way around it was, and maybe somebody can correct me. But I think Sweden kind of did show it, and they advertised it as the as the film so funny that it was banned by Norway. Oh yeah, that's right. they were just yeah, next yeah, door. Uh, An Ireland, I think. Band, yeah, or the band, which is understandable, so. yeah. yeah, and the Vatican. Yeah. <laughs> the Vatican probably didn't ban it. It was probably on a double bill with. Um... It's an amazing. It's an amazing film. Yeah, it's brilliant. It is brilliant. Has everyone seen it? Has everyone seen it? Of course they have. Bloody comedy nerds. Not like you and me. Same. No, no, no. I know we're we're yeah. we're, we're above that. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about Monty Python's Love Brian for forty minutes at the end of this podcast. Uh, anyway. Hey, look, we're going to have to uh, wrap up. There's lots of things I want to uh, talk to you about. Thomas and Friends coming up. Is that out yet? You're, you're playing a, are you playing an engine in Thomas uh, I, I have no idea. I've done the voice. Have I've you? got no idea. But it's really interesting. The Thomas world is... It's out there. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of... Um, because people, again, tweeted me and said, uh, you know, well done on, on voicing Shankar, the Indian engine. Um, <laughs> I find that not... accent quite offensive. Well, well, yeah, what you just said Pont- there was very offensive. From Ponty <laughs> oh, That's fine, that's fine. Now is fine. Yeah, thank you. Um, should have clarified. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, the, the, I mean, these are older uh, Thomas the Tank Engine enthusiasts from all over the world. I mean, I had no idea this world existed, but it does. Yeah, and they've, they've broadened, there's, there's, Trains from all over the world. Now. Is Thomas? Do you know what's happening? Is Thomas travelling around the world and meeting trains from other lands and finding out they're okay? Yes, I think. I think that uh, Thomas Except in Germany, where it's a bit, it's a bit weird. It, uh, so, <laughs> yeah, Thomas and his friends go to different countries and introduce civilization and uh, <laughs> basically take those countries over and show them how uh, you know how to play they've cricket. Left, they've left. They live in Sodor, don't they? Thomas. Thomas Tank Engines yes. from Sodor. Well, Sodor. Sodor. <laughs> That's a f- f- funny little reverend man, didn't it? Was he did that? Anyway, yes, we'll... Uh, we'll oh, there was something I was going to... Th- oh, yeah, th- I wanted to ask you if it's tr- th- this is true about your father. Did your mother find your father, when you were in your cot, whispering into your ear, <laughs> I want to be a businessman? He, yes, he did. The two, uh, <laughs> my, da- my dad uh, adopted uh, subliminal marketing techniques way, way before they were popular. Yeah, the two things that I do remember from that... Uh, uh, well, I don't remember that one, because I was in the cot. But, uh, although I could have been in a cot at 35. Yeah. But uh, as I was once, um, I was Cuba. Anyway, it was, uh, it was a memorable holiday. But the... the uh, um, 
Yeah, it was, it was my dad. My mum found my dad saying, yeah, I want to be a businessman. The other thing was when I was about five or six or something, I remember an uncle who said, uh, so what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, actor. And my dad said, it's pronounced doctor. <laughs> and, uh, which my dad then denied. And luckily my mum said, no, he did say that. Um, oh, are, they, are they proud of you, your parents? Uh, no, because uh, <laughs> I'm not a doctor. Uh, I'm an honorary you're, doctor. You're a, you are, and you're a businessman, really. I mean, come on. Well, your, your, your business is you. <laughs> yeah, everyone's business is them. Yeah, I mean, um, no, I'm a chancellor. Yeah, you're uh, chancellor. not in the German sense. Uh, but uh, yet, yet, um, she's given it up. So could be in there. Ich spreche Deutsch. Good ambition, uh, and uh, that's enough uh, to make me run. But. Um, yeah, I, do you know what? I feel really, really fortunate that given, you know, how late it was when I started and stuff, I'm really, really grateful that my parents were still around, you know, to, to have seen it. Because yeah. the thing is that I think um, for them, particularly having moved, uh, emigrated here, and, and it was difficult for them. The loneliness alone was difficult when they first moved. And sure. aside from the fact that you can get black pepper when I was a kid. You couldn't get it. It was white pepper was everywhere. I'm not, right. It's not a racist thing. It's just kind of like, <laughs> it's a taste thing. But, um, you know, you, it's still in calves. There are calves. That's the only place I see white pepper now is yes, in yeah. calves. I don't see them anywhere else. Um, so I think they found it very, very difficult. But, uh, you know, one of the things I think as a parent, you know, as a fellow parent, uh, it's, is that ultimately you want to know that you've, you've, you did a good job, you know, uh, uh, Unless you're Fritzel, and then and uh, and then the, then the then the rules obviously don't apply. But you know, you you want to know that you've kind of done a good job. You you brought your kids up well, and they'd be healthy, safe, whatever it is. And I think that that was the thing. I think at thirty, I think they were thinking, you know, what have we done? We've kind of like he's not doing anything, and this is he's going nowhere. And um, so yeah, I'm, that, that's one of the things I think I'm most grateful uh, for. Yeah. and they are they're, you know, they're still about and they, yeah, they great, about, yeah. which is lovely yeah. that's fantastic well look it's been just such an honour to talk to you you're a wonderful man you're a fantastic oh, actor do much. comedy and uh, <laughs> as you I'm sure you will and do your serious acting as well and ladies and gentlemen Sanjeev Bhaskar give it up you have been listening to Rich Tang the Square Theatre Podcast with me Rich Tang and my guest Sanjeev Bhaskar the music is by Pest and also, can I tell you that the people <laughs> I want to thank the people at the British Comedy Guide and the people at the Leicester Square Theatre and Go Past the Stripe and everyone for just making my dreams come true, letting me do my own little interview show on the internet. I'm indebted to my producer, Ben Walker. I would just like to thank my executive producer, Matt Fouquet. Oh, come on, Matt Fouk. F-U-K-E. You're having a laugh, mate. Matt Fuck is what he wants to be called, and that is what he's going to be called. He's a great guy, though. He's a brilliant executive producer. This is a GoFastTheStripe.com, SkyPotato.com, Fuzz.com production. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Boland Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Boland Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gays wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com Thanks for listening. Go to GoFasterStrike.com for all your download needs. Thank you to Chris Evans, as always. Not that one. Uh, for the spectacular work he does on all of these podcasts. Uh, RichardHerring.com for all your gigs needs as well. Thanks for listening. Listen to another one. Go on, I dare you.